0: Rachel Meadle from Talking With Tech.
1: And I'm Chris Bougay from
2: Talking With Tech.
0: We have a podcast dedicated to augmentative and alternative communication, all things related to helping kids with complex communication needs.
2: If you have a passion for helping people with language disabilities, this is the show for you. Each episode features an interview or a roundtable discussion on a topic related to augmentative communication and helping people with language disabilities.
0: And we're really passionate about giving practical strategies to clinicians working in the field who are working with children or adults anything related to AAC.
1: So you can
2: look us up on iTunes or you can find us on Facebook. We've got a group over there. Or check out our website at bit.ly slash TWTPodcast.
0: Please join our community of professionals that are working to ensure that everyone can say whatever they want to say, however they want to say it.
1: The views and opinions expressed during this show do not necessarily reflect, reflect the, the policy or
3: position, or position of any affiliated workplace or employer. The views and opinions of this show do not constitute recommendations for therapy.
2: Please Please contact contact. a licensed SLP for individual consult on your situation.
0: Please listen carefully. What is communication? An essential behavior of life. We have the uh, both blessing and responsibility of trying to foster another. It's transmitting a thought from one person to another. It's
3: the strongest way for two people to convey information to each other.
0: The back and forth between two people. Communication is a lifeline. It's just connection with other people. Connecting people in terms of ideas or thoughts or names. It draws us out of ourselves, draws us into that relationship, you know, builds up our families. Without it, we'd be lost. Whatever it is that we do to express intent
4: and Achieve an impact. Communication is the ability to express your needs, wants, frustrations, and desires to anyone that you feel needs to have that information.
2: Welcome to Speech Science number one hundred and sixteen. We are now legal to drive again. I'm Matt Hot, joined by Michelle Wintering. Hi, Matt. And Michael McLeod. What's up, buddy? Don't you guys remember turning sixteen? Oh yeah, We're we'll one hundred and sixteen. We are proud members of the exceptional podcast network. On today's show, legal we're going to talk to the drive Asha alerting. Second decade or like century of life, second century of life. We're now legal to drive again today on the show. We're going to talk about the Asha alerting pass, what you need to know before it goes away. Also, Asha wants to certify assistance. Is that good or bad for the field? And we're going to talk about why napping is important and should you be getting paid. Uh, in grad school But first, above all We want to hear from you And we love reading your emails on air Or hashtag Twitters Or I guess hashtags That you send us through social media So hit us up uh, SpeechSciencePodcast at gmail.com Phone call 614-681-1798 uh, Join us on the Discord At Discord.SpeechSciencePodcast.com Or the hashtag SSPod as always, we start the show off with S.S. Pod shoutouts or S.S. Pod due processes. This is your opportunity to tell us about somebody or something that is doing something wonderful. That is the shout out or something you want to throw under the bus the due process this week on the SS pod shout out. It'll go to former uh, speech science host, Luke Stuber uh, featured in the Asha leader uh, this month for his work with COVID patients and AAC. So the SS pod shout out way to go, man. Now, do we have any SS pod due processes? Ooh,
1: I haven't seen any complaints on the Instagram.
2: Perfect. So Hit us up, hashtag SSPodDueProcess, and that is where we will... I don't want
1: to say complaints. Due processes. <laughs> due processes. It's yeah, a complaint. It's go. where you
2: say, this sucks. Tell me why it sucks, and then the three of us will debate Or tell and us decide. why you
1: disagree with us, please.
2: That's true. Our first two due processes were about how we got studies completely wrong, and then the <laughs> Tiffany Hogan had to come on air and say, no, you where guys got I it so friend. wrong. I want to re-talk about the show. So we love you, Tiffany. We love your show as as well. We'll have the link to her show down in our show notes. So, guys, let's start off like we always do. Let's find out what we've been doing in the past week. I have been doing nothing but therapy, riding a bike with a uh, seven-year-old, and I got a new iPad, and none of my cords fit because Apple has changed the cord again, and it's now a USB-C cord cord it's dumb and the worst this part is, is, your, is I'm this shove, is your hot take this, is, today. this is definitely the hot So, can you guys see this can you guys yes, see this i see the cord that is the part that plugs into the wall charger so you it need an adapter
1: fit, to fit the wall charger
2: yeah no, that's crazy you can't adapt to the wall charger because it'll cause the device to explode what i have to i can't plug this thing into my car This is stupid. All right. I'm sorry. That's been my week. And that is such a first world problem. And this is your your new iPhone? My brand new iPad. iPad. Okay. Literally, I cannot, I can only plug it into one charger in the entire house. What kind of iPad is it? iPad Pro. Oh, those are sweet. Is this
1: the same for all the new iPhones that have come out?
2: I think so, because I was reading about it, and they said, oh, USB-C is the new iPad charger and the new Apple charger. And they've been using it on their their Macs forever. Oh, man. If I knew that when I ordered the new one, I would have been like, no, I'm good. Send me the 2019. Send me the 2019. I don't need the 2020. <laughs> If you can't tell, this is a very fresh thing. I literally got it out of the box at eight thirty.
1: Deep breath, Matt. And, You're okay. <laughs> yeah,
2: deep breath. You'll get there. It is nine thirty on Wednesday night when we are recording it. So that's been my week, Mike. Please tell me, have you figured out that Apple has changed anything on your device? I have. No,
3: I had no idea.
2: I'm not buying any new
3: Apple products anytime, anytime soon. I think I got enough. Uh, right. Yeah, it's been a it's been a good week. Uh, teletherapy is a little different now that school's not in session. Uh, But, you know, the kids tend to be a little bit more laid back. There's less pressures on them, things like that. So the sessions have been going well. I'm continuing with the the teletherapy as much as I can. We are slowly but surely opening up the clinic uh, now that we are in the yellow phase here in Pennsylvania and Philadelphia. Uh, Haven't really done too many sessions there yet. You know, it really depends on what the parents want to do, what the kids want to do, and, you know, and, and therapist as well uh so slowly but surely getting there uh some parents and kids are eager some enjoy the teletherapy so i guess one good thing to come out of this is that we have options
2: that's pretty awesome are you finding are you back on the upswing on teletherapy again uh like not hating it again it's been a good week i'll say that it's been a good week it's been a good week (laughs) i've you know things it's wednesday Mike. yeah i think it's it's the weather
3: you know (laughs) getting outside
1: Do you see yourself doing a kind of hybrid with patients now?
3: Definitely, definitely. So a a lot of uh, in the past, a lot of families would have to like decrease the amount of sessions, or you know, end up finding another therapist, whatever it may it may be, based on travel time. You know, I've had families drive one hour each way for an hour session, Uh, and this is at you know six, seven, eight o'clock at night on a weekday. Uh, so if teletherapy works better and and it's more productive and it helps with overall collaboration and accountability, then that's great. I'll be more than happy to continue doing it.
1: I think that could, especially for those who have to travel, you could do a merge of, you know, a Mm -hmm. hybrid of every so often we meet in person, but other than that, we can meet virtually.
3: Yeah. And it, it takes a lot off the parents. The parents seem to enjoy it. Uh, They don't, in in terms of them having to drive to a clinic after work and possibly have to deal with some behaviors by getting their kids in the car and getting them to a clinic. Uh, You know, some of my older kids, I can just email them directly and work with them for an hour without ever having to bother the parents. So I think whatever we can do, you know, to make it easier for the families, the better.
1: I'm hearing more about workplaces considering the same thing or cutting down on their brick and mortar buildings and Doing a, a hybrid of of telework and in person work, especially because had, of this, it's just changing our world and it's rapid. It's expedited the tele everything mm-hmm. <laughs> world.
2: So I had to call in. To I'm a Disney Vacation Club member, and I never I had to would call have in. guessed. Matt. Yeah. Wow. We just love Disney enough that we got to go. We own a Disney timeshare. Mickey is our landlord. Um, (laughs) But I had to call into the house of mouse and um, I got a hold of one of the DVC reps and, you know, gave him my information. And then all of a sudden in the background, I heard their dog just start going off and she was like, excuse me. And the phone went mute. And then she came back and she's like, never know what happens in the magic kingdom. And it was just so like, disney scripted but i was like oh you are working from home you are definitely working from home right now
1: that's awesome so good for them yeah not bad. michelle
2: how, how has your week been
1: um back to work like i told you Ooh. all last week just with um lower caseloads returning after you know 11 weeks of our clinic being closed um and then with me moving i'm not taking on new patients right now so i am continuing care for those that I've I've seen before and trying to plan for handing them off and carry over care uh, for them at like home exercise plans kind of thing as well as um, hopefully handing them off to another therapist um, I moved to Kansas next month we just got an address so we know where we're living so that's exciting Woo! and yeah just in a little transitional period but that comes with the military life <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. i was gonna say uh this is what what state for you
1: uh for me
2: yeah what number of state is this that, that i've that lived, lived in, in now uh-huh.
1: one two three four but with the army it's only my second because my husband was already oh, in texas right. when that's we got right
2: married
4: Mm
1: -hmm. so he's he's you went from
2: colorado to texas
1: right but he's lived in more with the army what's
2: he at now do you know what his state count is um one two hold
1: on three (laughs) four five six maybe okay yeah very cool and that's not counting countries for deployments but
2: and he's army yes he is awesome well good for you guys and way to keep us safe ryan That's right. Okay.
1: Doing his job.
2: (laughs) All right, Michelle. I was going to look up a fun fact about Kansas for you.
1: Yeah, teach me about my new home state.
2: (laughs) All right. Uh, Let's see a fact about Kansas. The 1996 film Mars Attacks took place in a fictional Kansas town of Perkinsville. So there you go.
1: This is not helpful.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Gunsmoke was set in Kansas. Okay. I've never seen that show. What? you never watched Gunsmoke? No. If my dad
1: is listening, every time I go back to visit him now, he t- in retirement, he turns that
2: on every day. Gunsmoke and the Rifleman. Miss Kitty. Oh, man. Anywho. All right. So on the Facebooks, there was a talk about why. And this was from Dr. Meredith Harold, uh, the creator of the Informed SLP awesome friend of the show had mentioned why you should or shouldn't be working for free. And Michelle, you brought up that we talk about in grad school. There's a lot of times that we're working for free. And I know from my personal experience, I was paying full uh, full university charges during my second internship. And I, and I was a special case where I had to do two years of internship due to my licensure. But I was paying a full caseload for 13 credits and taking no classes while working full time in a school district. Mm
1: -hmm. And I I mean, I feel you on that because and I know each grad program is set up different. Some people, their clinicals are never a full time. They're spaced out with their coursework throughout all the quarters or semesters. And at least mine was set up because Matt and I went to the same school, but we're only on the same track for one year. And then both took two different tracks for grad school and my last two full quarters so six months was full-time work while paying full tuition and i do realize i was paying for those credits so i understand that we have to pay for for credits towards our degree but it does feel a little crazy when you're working full-time and paying
2: on top for credit hours i don't i don't I don't understand why we need so many credit hours while doing the internship or the extern. Mike, you paid, right? You weren't getting paid for your externship? Oh, yeah, big time. Mm-hmm. So I've got something that'll make your guys' brains explode. Medical interns, you know, the dudes becoming a doctor, mm-hmm. uh-huh. they get paid between thirty dollars and $35,000 from Medicare.
1: For For medical interns. So to clarify, are you saying medical interns, like what year in med school? or uh, they are, are they the, residents
2: they the, they the, no they're not residents they're the students in training at a hospital to become a doctor or specialist the intern is part of a team of other residents supervised by a physician uh, the intern makes rounds of patients under their care reads tests reviews treatment and the later part of the shift is when new patients are admitted under the team's care
1: what year in med school are they
2: um, let's see what year are medical interns
1: Because I kept thinking, and I could be wrong, I thought an intern was part of your residency when you finished.
2: I think that's before the residence, aren't they? Okay, yeah, so it's medical student, intern, resident, fellow, attending.
1: Okay, so a medical student intern is probably like a third-year med student or something. Yeah. Okay. Okay.
2: And then the resident is pursuing two to seven years of specialized training, and they're usually hired by the hospital. So here's my question. Medical interns, doctor interns, are basically SLPs during their second year when we're doing our externship in the schools and then in the hospital setting. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying we need thirty or thirty five thousand for a whole year because we don't work a whole year. Right. Why haven't we pursued this as an organization or as a field to try to launch into whatever Medicare is paying for? It's from the Department of Health and Human Services, largely Medicare. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: I think we need to talk to, like, we need to look at what is happening in kind of our sister fields of occupational and physical therapy. I um, think they're in the
2: same fields as us. In the same, same, same boat. Same boat as us. Same because, boat, and yeah. then also,
1: because I mean, unfortunately, teachers do the same thing. So are, mm-hmm. if there's Medicaid reimbursement, would that just be for a medical SLP placement? What about you, Matt, right? A couple of years in a school placement, um, you're in the same boat as a, a student teacher who is paying tuition and...
2: Working well, yeah. but I guess my question is: I'm not my, saying it's my, right, my, I just, my rebuttal to that, yeah, is that when you're a medical intern, you are rotating between different specialties, so you are spending time with emergency care, you're spending time with uh, ER, you're spending time with uh, uh, children's, you're spending time with surgery, and of course, some of this goes into your residency program as well, right? But the idea is that you become a more well-rounded doctor. What if, follow me on this, we extend the the program into three years because we've already talked about how our field is exploding. You do two years of grad school with your clinical work in the grad program. And then it's a one-year internship. In, and in one three, location? Three Every three months you rotate.
1: And is that our CFY and do we get a clinical doctorate? I know this is hypothetical.
2: Well, okay. (laughs) If you're going to look at the clinical doctorate, then maybe you make it the four years program. Why
1: four? PT and AUD does it in three. Do they? Yep. Okay.
2: Well, same idea then. But no, I mean like maybe you do it three months or three months in a location. So you do three months in a school. That's January through March, April, something like that. Three months in a sniff. Three months in a dysphagia clinic, three months with AAC.
1: I would love it if we could have a little bit a. I'm blue more... skying yeah. here. I, I am going,
2: you know, but then you could justify the $30,000. You have more rounded, well rounded SLPs coming out because, Mike, did you mess with a lot of dysphagia or AAC during your externship? Yes. Did you? Yes, okay. I did, yeah. Michelle?
1: Yeah. I mean, dysphagia because I was in a trauma level one hospital. Yeah.
2: Okay. Mm-hmm. I had very little. I had like two patients during my entire externship that were dysphagia patients.
3: I wouldn't and say no I wouldn't AAC. say like fragile fragile, but I did like a lot of like vital stim and things like that.
2: Okay. Yeah. I mean, like I don't know. I just feel like if you were to if we were to find a way and then you could also get these students paid for the year. We get our clinical doctorate. We're now in grad school for the full two some, two years instead of a year and a half or whatever. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. But it's a way to get out of that free payment. But also, we get more well-rounded SLPs as that doctorate looks like it's coming down the pipe anyway. Mm-hmm.
3: Or grad school can just be cheaper in the first place.
2: Nah, that's so that's not, That's crazy. That's let's not look accurate. at, you know... <laughs>
3: Just thinking of, of Medicare spending more money, Medicare, Medicaid,
4: you know, they, they have our, enough they have problems already. Are, our colleagues who are yeah.
1: professors, you know, deserve to be paid. I agree yeah, of, course, of course, of course, of <laughs> course. Do they?
2: Well, Dr. John McCarthy is a friend of the show, but I mean... <laughs>
1: Well, uh,
2: I don't know. You know no, I, I rare... love Dr. McCarthy, by the way. If you're listening, yeah. I love it anyway. <laughs> we do. <I> love... <laughs> uh,
1: there is a rare externship that I've heard of people getting paid for or really? being selected for. I, I mean, I this is just me saying I feel like I've heard it once in a blue moon, right? Mm. A rare one. Now, that would totally depend on does the place have funding to pay someone or supplement their right. tuition or something while they're while they're in that training. Now, flip side, this kind of ties into a future conversation we're going to have about SLPAs this episode, Mm -hmm. that I do know people who were SLPAs who then went to grad school and were able to work as an SLPA and count that as externship.
2: Well, that is the perfect transition, Michelle. But first, we want to hear from you. SpeechSciencePodcast at gmail.com or 614-681 uh 1798 and michelle you are 100 percent right i love that transition asha is looking to start uh certifying the slp assistant so what were you saying there i apologize um
1: that i know i know a couple people who worked as slpas and that was able they were able to get paid as an slpa and count it as a clinical externship for graduate school um so that i mean that's one advantage if you're in a state right now that currently licenses assistance, which is totally dependent on the state. And
2: True, not every state does. Yeah,
1: not every state does. Ohio doesn't, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've said it before, but in Colorado, where I worked, they do, but a lot of places don't utilize it. I only met one while I was there. And then in Texas, that I'm I worked with a ton um, who of SLPAs they're super common in Texas and I know for Cal- in California too.
2: So the SLPA uh the eligibility pathways that ASHA is, is beginning it's the Asha Assistance Programs. Uh you have to follow a 2-year SLPA program degree from an accredited institution or a bachelor's degree in communication sciences and DC- in disorders, complete the Asha online SLP assistance education modules or have a college degree, pass the coursework and complete ASHA's online models. Uh, and then you also have to do the SLPA exam blueprint.
1: And that's what is the exam blueprint? Uh, Does it say? Let's see.
2: It's it's a research practice analysis by SLPAs, SLPs and educators to ensure that the certification reflects emerging data applied knowledge and best practices. The SLP national SLPa national exam will be based on the information in the blueprint.
1: So, if we and have looking any, looking at it, SLPA- it looks like the CASA listening. And I know some of my old coworkers listen to the podcast on occasion too, who are SLPAs. Um, please, please write in text or call us because I want to know what your take is on ASHA certifying you. Um, I'm wondering if SLPAs have different opinions in different states too, because right now, and this is my understanding. SLPAs, right, are licensed by individual states who decide, yes, we want them. Um, mm-hmm. ASHA has a guideline, but ASHA does not license SLPs. They certify us through ASHA, but they oh. don't provide our, our license to work. Our state does. So it de- it's completely dependent on the state what the requirements are to be an SLP in a given state, which means it's a lot harder like jump between states as an SLPA, but... It also means if you're going to be in one location, like Texas, that you could have a whole long career all over the state And never Texas, be able to
2: work anywhere else.
1: Um, all over the state of Texas as an SLPA. Um, so I, I know Matt and I probably disagree a little bit on this because people get worried about are they going to take away jobs from mm-hmm. SLPs? What does this look like to us? But my argument for that would be I've worked with some incredible SLPAs Who some of whom have decided to go on and pursue graduate school as to become a CCC SLP, and others who have said, no, like, I like being an SLPA. And uh, it is one way, just like I mentioned, to work through undergrad. But also, we got to think of it like other fields that have this already, right? There's PTAs, there's COTAs. Um, occupational therapy assistants and physical therapy assistants. I was in physical therapy and I worked primarily with a physical therapy assistants after my evaluation. And, um, and they were great therapists, but um, even the description in ASHA describes what should be an SLPA as an extension of the SLP. The idea of an SLPA is to alleviate, for example, a huge school caseload for a CCC SLP so they would be able to treat some of the patients on your giant caseload so that you don't have to treat them all. Now I'm not saying that that is what all SLPs want because treatment is like my favorite thing. So giving up treatment and only doing evals would be um, a bummer for me, but there are SLPs who like that, who are okay with doing the evaluation and diagnostic because an SLPA can't do that.
3: Who are those people?
1: people? Extensions extra arms of the SLP in order to, provide, just like a a physician's assistant is supposed to be extra, you know, provide for patients who might not have services if there wasn't a PA.
3: This is a slippery slope.
2: So I'm being very quiet.
3: Yeah. I really haven't interacted with too many SLPAs. I really haven't. I think I came across one, only one. Is this and Pennsylvania?
1: What do they do they license SLPAs?
3: I don't know. That's a very good question. I don't I never really looked into it. You know, we have so many grad we have so many grad schools in a short distance that there's always I I, I get emails every day. Are you hosting students? Are you hosting students? So there's mm-hmm. so many students that that need the experience, but in terms of SLPAs, you know, I've only interacted with people that are currently in a graduate program.
2: I'm gonna look it up. Let's see. So here's my concern, and Michelle, you kind of stole a little bit of my thunder by Sorry. already acknowledging what my concern is, and and it and it's a very selfish concern, and and it's one of the things that I'm not hundred percent against. When you know, there's the rumors that Asha tells universities how many students they can have, so that there's not a surplus of SLPS in our field. It's and I don't that know if that's a rumor true or not. That's or just a, is that that's a... just what I've been. Is that true? I, that's what I heard. I've heard it too. A surplus I okay. of SLPs? Well, that like ASHA says, okay, we have a thousand SLPs planning to retire in the next two years, so we're going to divvy out a thousand spots across universities across the country.
1: Is there someone we can ask? I don't know. Is there someone we can ask about Asha's that from do ASHA? That.
2: ASHA's not going to uh, do that because they make too much money off of graduate programs.
1: But can we well, ask someone from Asha? Because yes, I, I want to I am
2: know. sending somebody, sending somebody a message. Real quick.
1: Really quick, I just tried to Google speech language pathology assistants in Pennsylvania to see if they're even licensed. And this is why these salary.com websites are a joke because you know they always list the average SLP salary at like eighty or ninety thousand dollars, which I know is not what most people make. Um, it says. False, right? Everybody can vouch for this being false. How much does a speech language pathologist assistant make in Pennsylvania? And it says the average is $84,000.
2: I don't think that's That's right. That's
1: not right.
2: But, okay, so while I wait for my contact to give me that actual information, so here's my concern. And and it is 100% selfish concern about SLPAs. And Michelle, you even said that they could work with the SLP to cut down their enormous caseload that is taking a position away from a licensed SLP. So let's say, let's say you have hundred kids on your caseload and you're going to give me an, two assistants. So that way I can worry about 30 kids and they can worry about uh, 30, 25 kids each or, you know, whatever that makes the number work. My concern though is, is instead of giving two other SLPs jobs, a district is going to take, the cheaper pay route yes and hire two assistants
1: okay now follow-up question though
2: so that's just my that's my concern because are the assistants going to be paid on the the paraprofessional level so sorry go. i i I don't
1: know what their pay is it's definitely less than an slp at least in texas but um and i agree with you because my preference would be hire an slp and split the caseload now question is there an slp to be hired Because I can look at how many vacancies are just in my county in school districts.
3: And if you're hiring an SLPA to help out with an SLP, is that going to deter the SLP from making more money year after year? Or are they going to be stagnant because you're paying two separate salaries?
1: Mm -hmm. I I mean, these are all good questions.
3: I would rather SLPs just make more and more and more and more money. Well, yes. (laughs)
1: Wouldn't Not we have all? to worry
3: about this stuff. You mean
1: to have the salary.com average salary be real instead of <laughs> double it. <laughs> like
3: double it. What
1: what people actually make in the schools.
2: <laughs>
3: That's what I want. I love hearing a good story like that.
2: Yeah. So I Okay, so I just got a hold of my ASHA contact. Okay. And they will go unknown unsaid. But they said that is a they said that, that is a rumor. Asha does not tell the grad programs how many students they can have. Look mm-hmm. at you
1: clarifying that. For it, all is, of our it
2: is up to the grad programs. You choose, usually set a number based on how many clinical placements they can get on average.
3: So Asha can see that there is a surplus of SLPs, there's more people than jobs. Asha can see that, that this is an issue, and they have no power over graduate programs who have a major incentive to begin SLP programs because it brings a ton of money into the college.
2: I guess so yes. this
3: is in this is a vicious cycle here of I didn't read into that one so
2: <laughs> secret ashes contact please don't be mad at me there for you that
3: go. so this is so for the next couple of years this is going to be an issue in terms of a surplus of SLPs and not enough jobs
1: Now okay back to the SLPA thing briefly I think and you can disagree with me on this Matt especially um I always do so it's okay I think having a certification from Asha Validates the SLPAs who are out there who are doing a good job. Oh, for sure. And I say that because right now it's so state dependent. And if there was an actual certification, maybe when you go to a, when you hear SLPA, it would actually be a recognized, you know, they have this baseline skill versus um, versus the unknown because the flip side and anybody who's done billing in a private practice and dealt with the SLPA side or SLP side, insurances, many of them don't reimburse for assistance or reimburse significantly less, right? So if there was a certification to say this is a guaranteed skill level of an SLPA, then at least those who you know, are doing their job well and, and should be able to do within their scope of practice as an assistant certain therapies and treatments, obviously not diagnostic, then right. I think that should be reimbursed by insurance. But that's a whole nother discussion.
2: I don't disagree that it shouldn't be reimbursed. And I think you're right, it definitely gives them a sense of validity. Like yeah. Validity. Yeah. Thank you. So if an assistant is doing my job, my therapy job that I've spent fifty grand on or whatever it was, and, and two years or three years of grad school to learn then why did i spend that extra time and waste that extra money
1: but they should be under your to do that. guidance like they should be doing the treatment that you've directed they should be they can't counsel families that's you know your part of how that. often oh, how often does that, that happen it's...
3: though and can we trust organizations and companies to follow through on the ethics uh, well, if they I... if they, if they can hire a cheaper slpa to cover a caseload are they going to be saying well make sure you listen to the slp you know, it's the same thing with CFYs. Oh, you're supposed to get this much supervision. How, what percentage of people really get that amount of supervision? Like, what, we've all heard the story of someone having a CF, and they talk this to the supervisor over the phone every now and then. So, mm-hmm, in of terms of, you know, if businesses recognize, oh, here's someone who's a licensed SLPA that can now see kids one-on-one. You mean a
1: certified ha- through ASHA? Because yeah, they have yeah. to be yeah, licensed. Yeah, yeah. Certified. yeah,
3: certified through ASHA they have the ASHA certification and it's half the salary and they can work with these kids. Why would I not save that money?
1: And and you bring up a good point about the ethics, but I mean, we're going to run into ethics no matter how you, how you cut this, you know, we run into it right now. I mean, think about if, okay, take, here's an example, hypothetical, right? A insurance company says we don't reimburse for assistance okay, so I, I could see, and I've heard of it happening, um, a <laughs> unethical case where an SLP would sign off on services they didn't supervise because it's a higher, or say they did it, even if their assistant did it, because you could get a higher reimbursement. And that would be terrible, right? But that's, I mean, that's insurance fraud. But I mean, we could talk the the ethics issues of, of a lot of that with, uh, you know, we, we have a professional ethics, we have our, our code of ethics, and if ASHA certified SLPAs, then they would be bound by our code of ethics too.
3: Well, what is, sure. what is ASHA's incentive for having a certification for SLPAs? Are they going to have to pay dues? Oh yeah, to, probably. Too, so. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Oh, yeah.
3: So there you. So there you have. I it. mean, the the jaded part is the. So fun there you thing. have it. Like, why but, why else are they doing but, this?
2: Well, in all fairness, though, I mean, it wasn't that long ago before us that every state had different licensure requirements. I mean, there are still states that don't require
1: ashes But that's
2: that's true. Well, and I, and I remember or back in. <laughs> 2000 2009. I attended a a information course. This was after I got my grad or my undergrad, but before I got my leveling courses for grad school. And I was at Kent State University, and they were talking about how different states have different minimum requirements. But Ohio's minimum requirements were one of the most minimum requirements. Mm-hmm. So our licensure worked in almost every That's state. That's part of why I went to and school think, in Ohio mhm where other stu- other states their license didn't have the same reciprocity back here and then, but i think that's pretty much all gone away in the last 10 years with the you know the majority of every state going to the asha minimums so i could see why i mean from just a minimum validity point why you'd want to have a certified slpa because i'd want to make sure that that slpa from texas is just as trained as the one from indiana we're in Ohio. We don't have any. So I, I, I and
1: states I can still. I mean, Ohio just because Asha says we're going to certify them does not mean Ohio
2: has to say we're going to license them. True. True. Now I think we can have assistance. They just can't do any direct therapy. What do they do? Like they 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 have to do direct therapy under direct supervision. What? Yeah, so it's basically no no suit no SLPA. Yeah,
1: I would not have an SLPA if that was because yeah. that defeats the point of saving you any time.
2: And I think that's the point is so that way they don't hire the SLPA because for every SLPA you need an SLP.
1: For now, every, I, I okay think with it's that. Six. Uh, Trying, there's a max. No,
2: I think in Ohio it's like a direct. No, I'm saying Asha like, has
1: guidance on like for oh, me yeah, as yeah, an yeah, SLPA yeah. or you as an SLP. Right, I mean, as an SLP, how many you can watch? I can't. It's four or six. There's a there's a max that I'm allowed to have under my license at any given time. I'd have to look that up.
2: Uh, unbelievable. That's all I can yeah. say to that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, anyways, I I'm torn on it too because I don't want to give up <laughs> my like. Yep. I don't want to let go of my treatment for the kids that I evaluate and want to see um i'd rather you know if i had my own practice i would rather hire another slp than an assistant but at the same time having personally known and worked with people who are excellent therapists who are assistants i have a hard time saying that they should not be validated in some way in their career true
3: this is a great discussion for the sspod community Right. What are, what are your thoughts on SLPA assistants getting certified by ASHA, and do you think there should be SLPAs? Have you interacted with them? Have they been helpful? Have they been qualified? Uh, I my interaction has been minimal, but I would love to hear what everyone else thinks.
1: Because mm-hmm. can you imagine like somebody coming into your grad school class who has five years working as an assistant, like they've been doing therapy for five years at that point? Mm-hmm. I mean they're gonna in the therapy realm going to be a leg up and now they got to learn the diagnostics and you know, the, the parts that are not covered in assistance. Like I'm pretty sure it's fluency and dysphagia. Like they don't have training in. Um, I feel like that would potentially be a huge asset for someone coming into a grad program to make them a better SL. There are perks. But um, at the same time, I mean, that's, I I don't know.
2: (laughs) We want to hear from you. Head over to discord.speechsciencepodcast.com. That is the the forums where we are all hanging out or trying to hang out. Or you can email us, gmail.com Or give us a phone call or text 614-681-1798. We're going to take a short break on the flip side of the break. We'll come back talking about napping. But during the break... Miss R from the world of the entire world of R talks about treatment of articulation. You're listening to Speech Science.
0: Hi, I'm Mailing Chan.
1: And I'm Martin Sibley.
0: And we are the hosts of the Exceptional Leaders Podcast, where we spotlight high-profile topics and amazing people who are changing the world view on disability.
1: Even though we are oceans apart, we are bringing people from all over the world together to discuss inclusion, advocacy, accessibility, and real life journeys.
0: So listen to the Exceptional Leaders podcast to hear the voices and stories from amazing changemakers and be inspired to make a real difference in the world. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council.
2: Welcome back to Speech Science, I'm Matt Hunt. Joined again this week by Christina Rastusha, the world of our SayItRight.org OSpeak Award winner. Christina, thanks for coming back for week two. (laughs) Thank you. So last week we talked about the evaluation and the assessment of of articulation. This week, I really want to talk about how do we structure therapy? So last week, you had mentioned multiple goals, multiple days. And for some of our SLPs, that might be a first time that they've ever thought about seeing a kid more than one time a week. How do you structure your therapy session? Um, And then how do you structure the IEP? How do you structure how often you're going to see the student?
4: we have we have us we have a severity i can't remember the name of the paper but it it's it's looking at the severity of how many sounds are misproduced and the standard score of the articulation test okay and so that often governs how often we're going to see a student like once a week or twice a week um we're moving away, I believe, from once or twice a week and doing it to times per year. So we're oh. more in compliance with, because obviously we're not seeing the kids right now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> During the coronavirus. Oh my gosh. So, anyway, um, so yeah, would, we look at the severity of the articulation and how many sounds are misproduced and their standard score. Um, so that's how we determine how many days a week they're going to be seen.
2: Now, is this chart developed by your district or is that a statewide chart down in Georgia?
4: I don't, I've seen it in California as well. Okay. I remember, and I don't remember the name of it either, but it's, it's a way to look at it. Oftentimes, a, a rule of thumb as well is if they're like, misproduce a syllable or at the word level or the phrase level then usually they're twice a week and then once you get to the structured conversation level which is reading and then spontaneous conversation which is like um you know we talked about walking down the hallway or at home things like that then that's more of once a week okay yeah and then you can always go to a consult model too where it's every other week for 30 minutes um, to kind of not completely dismiss them from a speech but to have them on consult in case um, there's regression or just to make sure that they've have full they maintain that full mastery of the sound
2: and and i'm looking at this chart actually i had to look it up it is the Severe rating scales guidelines for speech language communication services in the Georgia model, and okay. uh, holy cow, this makes my life a whole lot easier. I wish I would have looked at this. Um, but so I'm going to have a link to this down in the show notes. But when we're looking at building our therapy session, so the severity model kind of helps determine how how severe for the student is. Um, I know the world of R has the ten steps. Do we want to start looking at some of those 10 steps? Because I feel like some of that transfers not just from the R, but to a lot of different phonemes. Is that correct?
4: Um, Usually, yes. Okay. Definitely. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so I know one of the very first ones is the lo- – or not the very first one, but it's the, the neutral tongue position. We kind of talked about it last week. And when you and I spoke back in December, you had mentioned to me, hey, there are two different ways that we produce R. the, and what is it? The retroflex versus the,
4: the retracted,
2: the retracted. Yeah. And I was like, okay, and I'm not going to lie. I was like, that's kind of cool. I wonder if that really works. And I worked with an R student the very next day and they mispronounced one of their opponents of who they were, they were uh, wrestling against. And I just kind of said, okay, let me see inside your mouth. And I kind of, you know, had them say a couple different sounds or had the students say a couple different sounds and found one that they were saying pretty closely right. And I looked at where their tongue was and it was the complete opposite of where I put my tongue. And I was just like, all right, I want you to try every, and his was tongue tipped down. And I just said every single phoneme or every time you say R, I want your tongue tip to go down And like a, like just flipping a switch, you a hundred percent, fixed my student for me without even being there that i fixed that 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 tongue position and i ran him down the hall and we talked to his or the student's teacher the student was almost in tears i never realized and then through further research i found out there's different tongue positions for for l and then there was like an sh different tongue position is that correct Oh, I
4: don't know about that oh, one. Okay. <laughs> you um, tell us, Matt. <laughs> I
2: don't know. We were just all like I brought I brought you up to a speech and language meeting. And I said, Hey, oh. uh, I was talking to Christina, the the world of our person, and she mentioned this tongue position thing. And they're like, Oh, yeah, I've heard that, but I've never done it. And I said, Do you remember this kid? They're pretty much done now. And heads were snapping at meetings. Like, so I know that's like step four. What, mm-hmm. on the on the 10-step process, and I'm kind of looking on the sayitright.org website, it says evaluate allophones using the screening tool. When we look at an allophone, what is an allophone?
4: It's an individual sound. So, for example, for R, it would be like pre R, like O-R, A-R, E-A-R, because a lot of times, um, wordless, or the traditional approach for R would just say, oh, initial R and vocalic R. So it's not vocalic R, it's all six vocalic R's, and then the different word positions of the vocalic R. So I call them allophones or individual sounds for R because the vowel influences the vocalic R -hmm. and the position, and so... Grouping R together, as we all know, does not.
2: <laughs> I, I love the goals that I get sometimes that are like, we'll produce R in all positions at 75% accuracy. And I'm like, cool. And then I'll have to write a progress report. And the progress report might say um, initial R, you know, 65%. But then like my vocalic R's, I'm like, O-R, 30%. E-R, whatever, I-R, and the the supervisor will be like, why are they not making their goals here, but they're making their goals here? And I'm like, the goal was written wrong. I don't know what to say, but I like that. So there are 32 positions, or 32 different R sounds?
4: Yes. Wow. Yes, and And if you evaluate all of them, you're going to see how many that a student can correctly produce.
2: And I'm assuming that's probably pretty close for a lot of different Phone names as well, since the vowel really impacts the the phone name production and the mm-hmm. the position, right? Yeah, that's really cool. And now yeah. I'm thinking about this or this kid I just did an evaluation on that I'm like, I didn't ah. I didn't do 32. I did a lot, but I didn't do all 32. Oh.
4: I- think there's 32 s's but <laughs> <laughs> but there's 32 r's
2: and you definitely need to do that <laughs> I, I step two and step three write down the correct and then choose the customized target how do uh-huh. you, like looking at that customized target so for example my r student that we're looking at and this works pretty much for any phone name. but let's talk r because you're the r person you're mrs r um yes. but So what I do is I, every session I warm them up and I run them through what I call, I tell him it's the vowel quadrangle where I say, you know, repeat after me, air or ear or ire, re, ray ro, ru, ra. And then whichever one the student is rocking and whichever one is not, I kind of try to build minimal pairs. Is that the right idea or am I really messing with the kid's ability there?
4: No, I mean, I think you can, if you can keep track of all that. I just get organized. I'm more picture. So okay. see, you know, what they can do with everything and then kind of um, filter that out and decide where their successes are and use, I use a lot of their successful R productions to, to stimulate other misproduced R sounds.
2: That makes sense. And yeah. I don't want to sound like I'm memorizing it. I have an app that has yeah. the different vowel positions so that yeah. I just I show it like I show the student. I'm like, "Okay, these are the ones that we're going to do and mm-hmm. we're going there." So, step 4, I love that, the neutral tongue or the natural tongue position. And yeah. until the day I retire, I owe you hugs for fixing my one kid. I appreciate that. Oh, I was going to say what? I was going to say paycheck more- money, but I don't know how that's going to work.
4: <laughs> well, hopefully it'll be more than one kid back.
2: Exactly. For all um, those kids. Now, step five, break habits and dysfunctional patterns. I, I, and, it, and I know on the, the sayitright.org, it looks at R, but a lot of our students come in with these terrible compensatory strategies that are not really compensatory. Is that right?
4: Think so <laughs>
2: <laughs> so how do we go about breaking that habit because you know I coach bowling I tell my students in the high school bowling it takes 30 frames to just learn a new skill that's not 30 frames to remove that old skill it's the same idea when we're looking at articulation <laughs> therapy so how do we break that habit? first how do we know that that's a bad habit and not just a physical limitation on that student?
4: Well, I do what's called the mirror test. Hmm. (laughs) Okay.
2: I'm intrigued.
4: When I I do my presentations or seminars, I have all the speech therapists say like the word Archie. Okay. I'll have them watch each other because Archie, you can see the tongue position, whether the tongue tip curls up and back like a backward C or the retroflexed. Or up like you had with your student, where the tongue tip points down and the pumps <laughs> up. So I always have SLPs look for the retroflex because you can see the tongue tip curling up and back, like that backward C.
2: Yeah.
4: And so if they can, if those SLPs do that tongue position naturally for the word Archie. Then I have them do the opposite. I'll have them do the retracted R and then I have them look in the mirror or their iPad or whatever and have their friend and, and the SLPs who are great (laughs) experts, they have all the secondaries. (laughs) They have just (laughs) fun. So, (laughs) so, You can look at yourself in the mirror and see that you're doing the wrong R or the unnatural R. What happens to your face, your jaw, that jaw instability, scrunching the rolling of the (laughs) eyes?
2: I actually, I have a student that I'm working with and they have a ton of, I don't want to call them terrible habits. So I will go with the dysfunctional patterns. And okay. we were just doing, we we're just trying to learn how to move our mouth. That's kind of one of the things we are doing. And I have this app for like oral motor exercises, which we know the evidence doesn't prove anything with that. But like what I do with it is I just try to teach him how, you know, it's like push your lips together and just watching the student try to like put them together. And right. the student wasn't buying in at all. And I was like, all right, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? and i was using an ipad as a mirror and i said you know what i'm just going to get the big speech mirror the old big one that was the fold one and i yes. propped it up in front of him and instantly like he like the student just was like oh is ah. this what i this is what i'm supposed to do and i was like what yeah. is the difference between this big mirror and my ipad and the student was just like i don't know but then we really started to look at, I'm like, okay, man, or okay, man, when you do this phoneme, this is how you look. And I really need you to do this. And instantly it was that was that biofeedback or visual feedback.
4: Right. It yeah. started to work. I know. Tell
2: <laughs> I'm speaking the fire, to the choir, the aren't the I?
4: Bulb. It's the light bulb. <laughs> you know, like there's... You, I think we try to force, or not, not force, but we try an approach, and and we're just not flexible in because we think that's the only way. Mm-hmm. So many different ways to skin a cat, you know. <laughs> Here you can do this. There's other sounds you can pick. Like you don't have to just do ER final until you
2: know until the kid wants to murder you
4: well, they can't do it anyway <laughs> most of them so,
2: Right.
4: and then they're so frustrated it's like there's so many other options why pick that one you know
2: i like step six which is the practice target production probe list and then the world of ours got their own in the the workbook you've got to should...
4: be consistent though Phenet- i was
2: gonna say how important is that probe list
4: oh it's everything really well, yeah, if I pick a target between 50 and 80%, you stick with the same target till 80% at the sentence level. Uh-huh. But if you're moving all over with phonetic inconsistency, then there's not the kinesthetic feedback. They can't feel it. They can't hear it. This, you know, it's, They're doing, pro- producing different Rs all the time. So there's no way to get that consistency.
2: And then that goes to my question, though. On step seven, it says practice at least 150 correct R words. And I guess that goes to the – if we're looking at something where they're 50 to 80% correct already, 150 is not that hard if it's right. already at 50%, correct?
4: Yeah. I mean, you can just take the probe list and just – you can have what um,
2: – Sorry about that. <laughs>
4: No, that's okay. You have keywords, so you take keywords um, from the screening tool. Keywords are the correctly produced R's, so you Mm -hmm. write them all down. Or, uh, you know, Google Doc is a great place to put all your keywords. And then in intervention and production practice, you take more of those correct productions and you add them to the keywords. So over time, you'll probably have 150 keywords.
2: Oh. So it's and not so just 150 off the probe. You're building this list.
4: Right. And oh, okay. List for homework and the list is for warm up. Because think about it. If you go to the gym and you work on, you know, working on your biceps and then you're working on your shoulders and then you're working on your legs to, to strengthen your biceps, like that's not going to happen.
2: Right. That makes sense.
4: With those phonetically consistent probes. And if makes- you're enough, I mean, you're not going to get strong enough to be able to have that carryover. And so many SLPs, will be like, oh, there's no carryover. And said, well, you can't even do it on the screening. So how can you get, you know, and if you know exactly which R you're working on, then you're going to be listening to certain R's and carryover. You're right. not expecting all the R's to be correctly produced.
2: Now there is a process and I can't remember what it's called. Oh, it's the cycles approach. Are you, does that fall within kind of what you're talking about where the cycles approach mm-hmm. that, you know, you hit this one and then the next week you're hitting this one and then you no come, no, 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 no. Okay.
4: No, not, not like that at all. But okay. it's more like the Van Riper approach. Mm-hmm. You work on single word or syllables, single words, phrases, sentences, and, um, you stay with one sound, like mm-hmm. the would have like a T, an S, a Z, you know, a CH, but with R, there's 32 R's. There's not <laughs> just one consistent placement. Right. So then once you're 80% at the sentence level, you re-administer the screening and you okay. see R's have come in because then there's that generalization of Rs without even having to work on certain Rs. They come in. Anyway, as a result of just working on one R. That makes sense. Yeah. And so then you choose another target after that. So you start the whole process again and go through the whole 10-step process.
2: And I was going to say that is step 10 is where you start over once they're at 80%. Mm-hmm. Do you ever go back and reprobe any of those originals? So let's say we're looking at um, AIR mm-hmm. and they, they get to AIR at 80% and now we're going to work on AIR um will you go back and probe air or will you wait until you're done with ire before going back
4: no you can de- well if air is on the keywords, then i'm going to okay. use okay oh that makes sense yeah because okay. i'm not i'm always going to continue to add words oh okay because that's going to be my homework that's going to be my warm-up i'm going to use their success to elicit other sounds
2: that makes sense and Does that make- you know what no, I mean? Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of the questions that I know someone is going to be out there thinking. They're going to say, "This sounds like a forty-five minute therapy session." And I'm, yeah. I'm doing. Are you familiar with the five minute therapy?
4: Yeah,
2: I do five minute therapy with a couple of my Arctic kids, and I already, I don't do all ten of these steps. And I'm kind of thinking about when we come back, I'm going to re look at how I'm doing this because I'm, I think I'm doing. For sure, step two, three, four, five, seven, <laughs> and 10. I think okay. I'm, I'm, I'm there. I, I, there's a couple of things I need to change on mine. But with even a five-minute therapy session, we're, we're and if anyone's not familiar with five-minute therapy, basically you cut out the games, you cut out the stickers. It's five minutes of intense articulation training or therapy, and then you send them back on their way. I know Mm -hmm. within five minutes, this is with a sometimes unmotivated uh, middle school student. We walk out, we walk out of there after five minutes with over 200 uh, phoneme attempts. Well, that's what I
4: mean. You're getting (laughs) getting more than that.
2: But no, I can see somebody at home going, Oh my gosh, this is going to take me 45 minutes. In five minutes I can get 200 prompts and, a lot of times the, the kids love that idea because now they say, okay, I'm done. So that 150 doesn't sound as daunting now that I sit back and look at data.
4: <laughs> right, right. And if you know what you're working on and you have those keywords, words, you're going to get success.
2: Now, next week, what I would love to talk to you about is how do we know when to let our speech birds fly from the nests and then how should we be monitoring are you game for that
4: I'm game for that Matt
2: awesome thank you Christina we'll talk next week okay
0: I'm Joanne Byrne transform your caseload into story champs this is a review of an article entitled Individualized Narrative Intervention for school age Children with Specific Language Impairment from the Journal of Language, Speech, and Hearing Services in Schools. If you're looking for an evidence aligned, commercially available, and easy to use narrative intervention, look no further than Story Champs. For those SLPs who like things to be very laid out and systematic, you know who you are, the standardized procedures and orderly prompting of Story Champs will tingle your organizational senses. We've talked previously about this intervention for use with typically developing children, but Hessling et al. shows that this treatment can benefit second graders with language disorder. To implement Story Champs, you first model fictional stories using pictures paired with icons representing story grammar elements, such as characters, problem, action, etc. Then, starting with maximum support, you prompt the child to retell the story using pictures and icons. You then systematically remove the pictures followed by the icons until the child can independently retell a whole story while including the target story element. Story champs can be used to target personal story generation as well. The original article provides a detailed description about the intervention procedure using a beautifully organized chart. After one-on-one sessions two times per week for approximately 15 weeks, participants improved their use of two out of three story grammar targets using personal story generation, although there was some variability from session to session. The participant with the lowest baseline narrative abilities improved the most. The authors note that many children with language impairment will require repeated practice and repetition to master these complex skills. This intervention package is a good option for SLPs with large caseloads who need to optimize planning time and is a great resource to use within a general education classroom or small groups. And there's a bilingual version as well. To learn more about this paper and other new research, check out our reviews on theinformedslp.com. There's links to both the original article and the review in the show notes. The Informed SLP makes it easy for you to stay up to date on all of the clinically relevant research across the lifespan that comes out every month. Know what works to do what works.
2: Welcome back to Speech Science, episode number 116. I'm Matt Hot, joined, as always, by Michelle Wintering.
1: Hello again, Matt.
2: Hi, and Michael uh, McLeod. I almost called you Michael Wintering. Michael McLeod. <laughs> you've done that before. <laughs> That'd be <laughs> kind of cool. It's you've cool done name. Michelle
1: is- McLeod and Michael. <laughs> yeah.
2: I like it. Oh, man. Before the break, that was the entire road of R. Miss R uh, talking about the intervention of articulation and also the informed SLP. Uh, the link below was talking about uh, transforming your caseload into story champs. So uh, we love having the informed SLP uh, on the air, and uh, please go visit them on their site. Uh, they make uh, studies easily accessible, and they also have it, audibly so you can listen to it in your car and they're only about 25 to 35 minutes you can hear about 10 different studies so that's pretty cool all right michelle you brought this study up surprise fatigue children are a pain in the butt <laughs> <laughs> so this new if this you new have a toddler says, or a preschooler at
1: home you can relate to this
2: <laughs> my wife just came down the stairs from putting our toddlers to bed or preschooler to bed Or kindergartner, napping helps preschoolers unlock their full potential for learning. Uh, Basically, if your child's tired, their brain's not ready to go. Mm -hmm. Same with (laughs) SLPs.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I've heard a few people say over this quarantine that they've realized their their skin and just their energy and everything else because they've been able to sleep an extra hour or work out an hour or do something that they haven't done and and usually it involves more rest and seeing such a big difference so i don't think it's a surprise that sleep is beneficial but i do think this article touches on one it, it talks about some research they've done with preschoolers but also touches on Um, how higher expectations in lower grades, including preschool, Uh right, Um, and higher standards, because we know preschool um, early education programs have been shown to help success in school, that instead of also making sure we prioritize sleep, we've added more expectations to fit into a preschooler's day.
2: Yeah. We are uh, in the process of changing our son from a private school to a public school up here. And one of the biggest differences and actually made me happy was that he's going to get a second recess. Yes. That's That's right. And he'll, and he'll be a first grader. So there's going to be a second recess for first graders. But you know, when we talk about nap time for preschoolers, I remember he fought his old school had like extra nap time, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and it's just, it's, I think we tried to shove too much into these these kids' brains at such an early age, mm-hmm. and it talks about the reason why napping works is because it allows the playback and the long term storage into the hippocampal area, which is is wonderful. Um, it says an area. Let's see, memories are replayed in the hippocampus they are moved or copied to unique areas of the cortex, making them more stable and easier to retrieve later. So napping, wonderful side, but I also just like the play side too. So. Mm-hmm.
1: And Mike, I, I don't know if you had a chance to look at this, but the one uh, subtitle about emotional sensitivity in this article, yep. um made me think of you just with executive functioning. Uh, that this you know this author talked about nap deprived preschoolers not only show more negative emotions, but that they paid closer attention to the emotions around them than well rested children did. So, uh, you know, I know from my own firsthand experience with a soon to be two year old that when he's tired his emotions just are up and down they're extremes Mm -hmm. and he responds really negatively or almost get you know we talk about giddy right when you're sleep sleep deprived we say it as adults we get giddy or slap happy and um he does the same thing especially with negative emotions that if someone one of the adults around him is off he'll start crying and get worked up if he's tired
3: yeah, it's, it's really amazing how much uh, the foundation for executive functioning, independent functioning, uh, really lays the foundation during these early years. Uh, and how napping, having a regular nap schedule, having free time to play and the extra recess, like Matt mentioned, uh, it's really amazing because th- this is when kids learn through experience and learn through trial and error. And everything is public. There's no internal language yet, internal voice. Uh, Kids are really doing everything out loud and externally. And the more they learn and try new things, things begin to go from public to private. And when kids are able to privately manage their emotions and privately talk to themselves and use their internal language and use their nonverbal working memory to picture themselves being successful or picture themselves in a calm situation, uh, it's really um, during these years when these these skills are formed.
2: So... At what age does that internal language begin to develop?
3: Uh, between five and seven. Oh, okay. I have all the, ex- yeah, between five and seven. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Everything goes, everything goes from public to private. So kids have external, uh, internal language, external self-talk where they'll, they'll be very self-directed, uh, out loud. And then once it becomes internal along with their manual play, uh, that lays the foundation for uh, it, for self regulation, self motivation, uh, I- internal problem solving. Uh, it's it's really all
2: built during these years. Does that? I will correl- say that is the saddest part as a parent, by the
1: way. <laughs> Does that correlate with what some people call, or psychologists will call, the age of reason, like seven to eight? That internal language.
3: Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's really exactly what it is. Yep.
2: Uh, okay, another part of this I'll article the exact is that numbers. well, what is it though? Like in Japan, they don't they have like na- like national nap time?
3: That's for like uh, adults, I think.
2: Right, right, but that's
3: what I mean. Like, well, that's like what that's like a cultural thing. So, like, uh, if you're an adult and you're seen sleeping at work, they look at it as, oh, he works so hard; it's like a good thing.
2: They are allowed to do a thirty-minute power nap every six hours.
1: It's probably really good for people.
3: That's what like, that. Yeah. that's what like Google and Facebook do. They all have like nap pods in their headquarters.
2: I mean, there's also the negative part of you're probably working 14 hour days where you need a 30 minute siesta in the middle of the day. But I mean, it's probably the same idea though. If you're not tired, you could cognitively problem solve better. There you go.
1: Now, one other part in this article that I wanted to mention, um, i liked the part where they said research shows when preschool children were read storybooks introducing new words did you guys see this the children who napped after hearing the stories learned more of the new words than the children who did not nap and they tied that with some research in rodents that suggests that while we sleep memories are replayed just as if you want to learn all the words to your favorite movie scene you might replay the scene repeatedly sleep is a time to replay memories without interference from ongoing learning. So they talked about the replay happening in the hippocampus.
2: Did not know that. There you go.
1: So we should study new vocab, take a nap, and then see if we recall it more.
2: (laughs) I've always done that when I was cramming in grad school, I would study and then go to sleep. There you go. There we go. All right, hit us up speechsciencepodcast.com or speechsciencepodcast.gmail.com, discord.speechsciencepodcast.com or phone call or text 614-681-1798. It's near the end of the show, and that is time for our ASHA Spotlight, where we normally try to say something good that ASHA is doing because it is really easy to jump on the what is ASHA doing wrong. However, this week I do want to change gears a little bit. Uh, make sure you are using the ASHA Learning Pass because when this drops, you've got about seven days till June 30th till the ASHA Learning Pass goes back behind the paywall, and it costs how much does it cost? A hundred and where'd that go? Hundred and thirty dollars? Oh, hmm But here's my problem with this whole thing, and I was pulling up the, the Learning Pass right now as we speak. They've extended the free but only to certain people. And according to Facebook, it is the certain people that are faculty members at universities. Yeah.
3: I think uh, with all that's going on. uh,
2: $144. That's what the I think.
3: Asha should seriously consider extending this to all of us SLPs, especially those that are trying to maintain their C's. And their hours have been significantly cut due to COVID.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Question. Did they say why faculty get it?
2: I did not. It was a Facebook post. So
1: I just want to know what their reasoning is for specifically extending it to faculty.
2: This is like the, ex- oh, actually extending the learning pass to the end of the year for academic faculty, but not practitioners. Link is a petition to extension for all. All right.
3: Probably so they can use it for people that are not yet paying dues mm-hmm. in, their, in the classroom.
1: Can you say that again?
3: So all of the graduate students at the universities are not yet paying dues. They're not doing anything for ASHA. The universities are as they get audited by ASHA and things like that. So by granting them access to the learning pass, it can be used in an educational setting for these universities that are already doing a lot for Asha.
1: Oh, okay.
3: The in- so the individual on- SLP should be paying.
2: So on change.org, they are going for 10,000 signatures and they're at almost 9100 as of this recording. But it is asking Asha to extend it for all SLPs. Now, I'm going to go radical here and say something that we're all thinking and I've said it on air before in a world where CEUs are becoming cheaper and cheaper. I own I have a subscription to speechpathology.com. Uh, I have worked with the speechtherapypd.com people before and she's got a wonderful cruise idea for ASHA CEUs. CEUs are becoming cheap and easy. Okay. Why why is Asha in in a world where people are saying what are my dues going for? Why am I paying $300 a year? Why am I going to pay ASHA another $150, $50 more than SpeechPathology.com for, for more CEUs? And that would be my only thing. Make it, make it part of my membership.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and were they, yeah. you know, doing what a lot of companies do of give people a taste of it for free mm-hmm. and then someone will will keep it if they like it. I hadn't. You know had who it else does that, by the way? Yet. what? Who?
2: Do you know who else gives you a taste for free?
1: MLM drug dealers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, or I was going to say, you know I love that? marketing. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Don't ask <laughs> drug dealers. They like will give you the first hit for free because they know you'll get addicted.
1: Well, so do MLM, like multi-level marketing companies, because it'll be like, here's your free sample, or attend this party and get exactly. this free stuff, right? That's true.
2: Just rent a timeshare.
1: Yeah, you've got a Disney one, so.
2: <laughs> my go. mouse of house timeshare is wonderful, by the way. Is it though? So. Is it worth it? It is. It is. <laughs> okay. I'm staying at a better hotel than I would have. House okay. of mouse. Don't make me change my, don't make me think too hard about giving <laughs> Disney money for me to stay at their hotel property. All right. Let's send this thing home. The music is playing underneath. Mike, tell me something good you're doing this week that is not therapy related. Not therapy related. Oh, my goodness. Something fun. Uh, I will
3: be going home this weekend uh, to see my parents in Long Island. Uh, Haven't seen them in quite some time with all this Corona stuff going on. so, uh, So hopefully be able to go to
2: the beach and things like that. You don't have a Jersey accent, but can you turn it on? I am not from Jersey. It's not
1: from Jersey. Or
2: not Jersey, Long Island. I'm sorry. You don't have a Long Island accent, but could you turn it on? I, I don't really know. I don't really. <laughs> I does don't really
1: it know. does it pick up if you're around family?
3: Uh, some people say I have a hardcore Long Island accent, so I don't really. It all, dep- yeah. it all depends on who I'm talking to. If you to.
1: Say, if you say Long Island, I hear a little bit of. Yeah. Long Island.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When you say Long Island, you sound a little like Jerry Spring or Jerry Seinfeld.
1: Okay. I was going to say, a, not Jerry Springer.
2: He's not from no, Long Island. No. He's from Cincinnati. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Michelle, what is something you are doing this week that is fun and not therapy-related? I
1: actually get to see family this weekend, too. I'm going to see oh. both of my brothers.
2: Oh, yeah, it's, it's Father's Day weekend, so there you it go. Is, well, yeah. yeah, when this airs, it was yes, this past was Father's Day weekend. Mm-hmm.
4: But yeah.
2: mm-hmm. uh, for me, I will be seeing my pops on Sunday, I think. But other than that, I've got an office that needs to be cleaned up. And I've got to get a new iPad set up. So that's what I'm doing this week. Boring stuff. All right, guys. We appreciate you, the listener. So make sure you get in contact with us any way you can. uh, Podcast.speechsciencepodcast.com. Discord.speechsciencepodcast.com. Phone call 614-681-1798. Or hashtag SSPod. Also, we got the Patreon. Patreon.com slash Podcast. Our opening music tonight was Please Listen Carefully by Jazar. It's licensed under a Creative Commons and Attribution License. Our bump music was the County Fair Rock, copyrighted John Deku. Find all of his music at the soundcloud.com slash dirtdogmusic. The Informed SLP's music was At The Count by Broke For Free. That's licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution License. And the closing music is The Slow Burn by Kevin MacLeod. It's licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution License. Maybe we should put out a new line. If anyone wants to send us new music to use, we would be okay with that. But. In the immortal words of Janice Wright, always be a willow. The oak will be strong until the storm, and then it will crack. The willow will bend and return to form. For fellow willows, Michelle Wintering, Michael McLeod, I'm Matt Hot. Until next week, so long, everybody. See ya. Bye. It's tough. That was a long episode, but 116.
0: This has been an Exceptional Podcast Network production. Speech Science is edited and produced by MWH Production. Please follow Speech Science on Twitter at SpeechSciencePC and like our page on Facebook. For more original podcasts, please visit ExceptionalEd.com and rate and subscribe to our podcasts anywhere you get your podcasts.